0: Hi, my name is James Hawkin and I'm a piano player. Uh, in my recent podcast, I've explained about uh, my relationship with, with music and with the piano in particular, and the reasons why uh, I play the piano and why it's a sort of a necess- necessity for my life. But um, I'm gone over like the autistic and ADHD sort of uh, diagnosis and uh, how that relates to how I live my life and how I work with music and work with the piano um that it sort of led to all sorts of problems uh addiction and things like that for instance which i'll probably go into in another podcast maybe you know if i feel as i want to let out some personal details but uh today um if i may be indulged um i'd like just to go over my musical career history career i use in very inverted commas um it's been a side hustle uh, for most of my life, um, I just go through the history and, and some of the bands I've worked with and um, the characters and all the rest of it. I mean, might be of interest. Uh, you may, you know, see something in your own lives that is it's quite similar and uh, be able to relate to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in sixty, so you know, I've I've had a fair old time at it. I, I first started at age of fourteen uh, as my first professional gig at fourteen. Um, how did that happen? Right, okay, fair enough. Um Area I was born around the Snorster area in Cornwall. Uh there is a quite a wealthy businessman and um he uh, he he wanted to be Elvis, basically. All right. Which um which is great. Uh and he wanted to put together a band so he could front it and do all the rock and roll stuff. Um and he got together a few of us youngsters who were sort of um it wasn't sort of like talent spotting but you know we were sort of making a bit of a noise as being youngsters who could play instruments uh me obviously the piano um and that was great for me because that's how i cut my teeth is playing the old rock and roll standards um you know when i when i finished playing classical uh, learning classical music um what i was looking at was the the little richards and the uh, jerry lee Lewis's um and all these guys and uh, that's what I started to learn, how to play like them. Um, so for somebody who wanted somebody who could play the rock and roll standards, uh, that I, I fit it right in. Um, I knew every song. I knew it all, you know. And uh, another thing that, as an aside, informed my uh, self-tuition, if you like, was the, the Beatles' Complete now, I don't know if you know that book, but it's, it's it's a book of all the Beatles most of the Beatles songs, um and all the chords and all the all the music score and everything else and the words, and that was my Bible. I mean, I, I played it every, every day. Um and I knew every sing, I know every Beatles song off my heart as well, anyway. Um as well as the art rock and all the stuff. So anyway, this guy um put some money into it, bought me my first uh, electric piano. I'm uh, a dire, dire. I think it was a honer something, uh, but it sounded awful. Um yeah, fitted us out uh, fit out uh, in uh, uh drain park trousers, boot lace tie, you know and greaser hair back and all that and we went out as a band called Grand Prix, played the pubs and clubs, and I earned a fiver a night doing that. Uh bearing in mind at 14 I was given fifty P pocket money per week. I could go out on a Saturday night and earn a fiver. I was I was rich, Yeah. know. Um, that was that was like amazing. It's my little first t- taste of, you know, if if you're if you practice hard enough, you do something hard uh, well enough, um, you put some time into it, um, you can go out and and uh, make a difference somewhere and, and earn, earn earn a shilling or two. Um, but that was great. There was uh, Marcus Worry on drums, Paul Cundy on bass, and we had this old guy as a sax player. Um, yeah, he was great. The tone of his sax was fantastic. Anyway, we did that. And uh, um I remember once a little funny story. Um this the guy was fronting the band, the, the the manager Elvis man um got bit carried away one gig. And uh he says somebody called out something that they wanted us to do um from from the audience and I didn't have a clue what this song was. Anyway, he was adamant we we're gonna do it. Take her away, Jim and pointed to me, and I was like, I ain't got a flipping clue. And then there was this whole massive audience waiting for me to start to play this song, and I just had no idea. I, nothing at all came out. What did I do? I just jammed around, started making a noise, doing something. Anyway, it was a disaster. Um, but, you know, that's what we have. You know, it's it's a bit funny. Anyway, so, uh, after that, there was a bit of a, a rest, and then we—I got involved with a load of guys from our local clay community, our clay villages. Um, and we we formed a band called uh, Density Eleven Fifty. Now, why that name? Okay, is a is a clayworks reference. So, um, in the refining plants, um, the clay is in a in a solution. is in is in the water. It's uh um uh, it's a liquid. And uh, the ideal density of this liquid, in order for it to be pressed and refined, uh, is 1150. Density, 1150. It was Clayworth's reference. Okay, so we did two guys. um, Rob Best, brilliant chap. Keith Weber, brilliant chap. Um, We're more into the jam, stuff like that, um, more into the mod. Me and Pete Taylor, the drummer, we were... Rockers, hippies, whatever, and those two—that combination was fantastic because um, we both that set of group set of people brought influences to the band, and uh, we come out with a sort of fairly unique style, I suppose. Uh, we did covers and everything else, and um, we were playing around the pubs and clubs also. And uh, I think Pete actually was underage. Uh, but it didn't seem to matter back in those days. Um, we went in and played wherever we could, and the, the, the law was pretty lax back in those days. And I remember uh, one day, one day I had just enough petrol to get to um, the gig, and that was it. But I kept a spare milk bottle and a and a little tube, and I could put this tube into a petrol tank off of a car. Give it a suck, and I could siphon off some petrol. Naughty, I know, but this is what we had to do, or I had to do back in those days. And of course, uh, petrol caps weren't locked or anything like that back in those days, neither. So I had to, si- I had to secretly, surreptitiously, uh, siphon this petrol off out of somebody's petrol tank in order to get home. Um, yeah, we had we had some great times. Um, what I'm going to do is um, I've got got some photographs of those days with density 1150 i'm gonna put them up um also i've got um kindly helen best robert's uh, wife managed to get some audio of some of the tracks we did now we did a, we did like a demo um andy down at modern music down the trail that did a demo for us a, a live live take and uh good old helen managed to get some tracks for them to uh, stick up It's not like the city, it's not like the country Good stuff, uh, but it was thoroughly enjoyable. It was fantastic. Um, it was like first a test of doing something on our own, or on me on on in a band that we were our own our own boss type of thing, and um, working with other people, um, getting influences from each other, and, and all the rest of it. Um, getting out in the pubs and clubs at that young age and really experiencing everything that that can offer. Back in those days. Um, it was all a bit rough and ready, um, and a lot of drunken behaviour and all the rest of it, not by us, but by the audience. Um, and it was a real, um, real good start for what was going to come. Anyway, I do that. Um, so thanks, Helen. Brilliant. Um, so after that, I sort of got into uh, a, a group of bikers, um, <laughs> fantastic blokes. I mean, the lifestyle uh was fantastic for me at that time i mean the, the lifestyle as you can imagine bikers back in the oh about me um late 70s early 80s perhaps um um was um exactly what i wanted it was a lot of debauchery and a lot of experimentation with all sorts of things with life um a lot of parties um lots of things happening and uh what i loved about these guys were um the complete honesty of these guys they were they were a solid guys at, and um and i don't know how to explain it really without sounding like patronizing or anything because um they were different to what i've been used to you know about sixth form college and all the rest of it, doing a levels and thinking about going to university and there was these, these guys that um, no pretense at all. They were like real genuine people, and I thought this is fantastic, refreshing, um, and I really want to get to know these these people and and hang out and uh, and be part of that lifestyle. Although I was never a biker, um, and they and they were they sort of let me in to, to into their gang, if you like, and uh, it, it's brilliant and. Uh, Mumbo could play the guitar a bit. Um, Pete Taylor, who was in that previous band, was was also in, in sort of the gang and uh, could play the drums. But Colin um, was picked up the bass guitar. Brilliant story with Colin. Um, he had an industrial accident and uh, was missing a finger on his fret hand, and his hand was mostly paralysed. Did that stop him? No way. Picked up the bass guitar and could play as good as any abled-handed person. Innate ability, innate ability. You know, the musicality was there with him and the ability to handle an instrument um, and to use it was, it was just there. It was amazing, couldn't, couldn't stop him. It, it, brilliant, fantastic playing. Um, it helped his hand tremendously as well. Um, Jimmy Underwood never sang before and uh, had this real great rough style. And, um, it was it was the punk era, basically. And um, although we were they were rockers and we were we were like rockers, uh, the punk thing came in, and we had our own unique sound, and we called it runk, uh, combination of uh, rock and punk. Um, and I unfortunately I haven't got any audio from there. And uh, we, I think probably that was the only band I've been in where. If we were in the right place at the right well it was the right time but if we were in the right place that band could have actually done some 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 real progress in in uh, in making it if you whatever that means but um you know because we had something special though i reckon um we wrote around stuff and did some ac dc covers and i wrote a song called toes up the noses <laughs> uh and which is um we entered a competition, and they said, "Yeah, great, fantastic," uh, but not exactly what they're looking for. Anyway, we, you know, we made a bit of a noise around Cornwall, uh, had a good bit of biker following. And talking about the bikers, I just want to tell you this little story about Mumbo, uh, Toby, Toby Banks, and uh, the bikers uh, didn't wear their p- patches, the colours. They they decided that they were not no longer going to wear colours and uh, we were in Catfiddle and bombing which is like the, the their local pub the the Rockers pub and having a drink and Scorpio came in uh, which was a snorstal biker game and the president of Scorp- Scorpio at the moment was uh, Des, at that moment was Des Hooper and it came in and they were they were recruiting really, they were looking uh, to bolster the numbers. Um, and I was sitting with Mumbo at the bar and Des Hooper came come up and uh, the conversation sort of went. Des says to uh, Mumbo, he says, you see that patch on my back? That means freedom. Mumbo just turned around and he said, you see that patch on my back? You haven't got one. He goes, that's freedom. Never forget it. <laughs> anyway, um, so... Then um got into another band after we I went to college and it sort of all went, sort of uh, petered out really. Um, and then I joined up with a band. Well, basically what it was, is um, um, some friends of mine, Muso friends, uh, run the Slossel area, had a gig in the General Wolf in Snorstall. And the singer, Jim uh was getting a bit fed up I and mean, he was going to say, like, this is really my last gig. And he said, um, we've got a friend, we've got a mate who plays the keyboards and he's going to come along to the gig and join in and we'll have a jam and uh, just do the gig. We could all do a then. We we all knew covers and everything. I mean, it was, you could go into any band and you could play. Um, and Jim says, hey, okay, we'll, we'll give it a go. And um, anyway, I played the gig at the General Wharf with the band and Jim at the end said if that keyboard player is staying so am i (laughs) i did and um we um we called the band then alcohol okay so that gives you an idea of where we're at at the time and uh we did just covers a couple of years um and again it was great keith johnson um charlie six foot seven canadian restauranteur, bass player, um, Mark Nicholas, very close friend of mine, who uh, um, was the drummer. And he was only a little tacker. He was still at school, I think. And we had to sort of pick him up and um, take him to gigs and stuff. Uh, and yeah, we just had a blast. It's fantastic. Um, but from there, um, the band, you know, bands have a, a, a life Periods, you know where things happen and then things don't happen when you've got five members um, it's difficult to uh, sort of get everybody together for rehearsal stuff and uh, everybody sh- sh- share the same enthusiasm for a long period of time uh, but um, so when the band was breaking up me and Jim Ryan the singer decided that we'd try it as a duo um, back then it was just, technology was just coming through that um, you could you could make backing tracks at home. I had a little little studio and a um, little Portis studio, you know, and uh, an Atari STE 500 kilobytes RAM. And uh, me, I'll tell you what, that, when that went up to one megabyte RAM, it, it was like, Revolutionary, you know, the things you could do with that little Atari. Um, anyway, it was, and I think it was Cakewalk, one of the very first, uh, what did, no, it's Steinberg, Steinberg's Cubase, Cubase, the very first one of them. Anyway, I was able to make backing tracks, and uh, these backing tracks that I was making, <laughs> I could put onto a little floppy disk, all right. And I had a little road, I had a Roland D20, and it had. A, a floppy disk um, you could put it in there and you, it would play back the midi files on the keyboard all right and so you had all, all the sounds and everything else and you could you could like play black play, play back a, a backing track uh, but one floppy disk would uh, contain about i don't know three or four songs probably if that and uh the loading time for each song was several seconds when you're waiting between songs um and then you had to change over the floppy disc and I had like I don't know 15 20 floppy discs I suppose and having to find them and stuck them in um uh, it was <laughs> it was uh it was difficult but somehow we got away with it and uh I think it's because uh, nobody had real backing tracks at, at the time um, and uh, we were you know we were making a distant noise um and we got a lot of work and uh, we were working five six nights a week in the hotels and clubs at Nuki during the holiday season and holding down day jobs and I was working shifts and uh quite often, <laughs> I would go from a gig, I'd go straight to work um you know, i started you know starting work half past four in the morning. There was just no point in going to bed. Uh, we just just carried on. And uh, I remember one day I got home from a gig and uh, I, had a, I had an hour before I had to sort of leave or get ready for work um, the sort of next day. And I actually went to bed. I sort of put my jams on and uh, clean my teeth, went to bed for an hour, got up, went to work, uh, and then gigged again in the evening. Um, we did this all through summer for, you know, three or four years and uh killed us. Absolutely killed us. But we were earning flipping good money. Um, it was at the time when Maggie Thatcher was in power and uh, interest rates went up to, on the mortgages, went up to 15.9%, I think it was. Um, people getting repossessed. Um, endowment mortgages where you only paid the flipping uh, interest on the mortgage and the, 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 everything else was outstanding. It was ridiculous. Um, but we got through because of that. Those working that that hard, and earning earning really good money um, doing that. Um, so it was a lifesaver at the time, although it killed us, absolutely killed us. Uh, but so, and me and Jim are still going now. Uh, the James Brothers, we're still going. It's what thirty five years probably. Um, obviously, technology has changed. Um, things are a lot easier now. I can even do it on my watch. I've got an Apple Watch. I just punch in what I want and then the backing tracks played immediately. Um, obviously, the technology in the studio setup is a hell of a lot different now. I can make real good quality backing tracks. Um, but um, yeah, so 35 years doing James Brothers as a duo, playing just playing covers. Uh, although we do introduce a couple of our own songs, uh, some country songs. Uh, which I've released um, under James It's on streaming platforms uh, Ackle Island, uh, Dance With You, we've just got a little bluesy thing out now uh, called Judas Iscariot Um So what sort of tales can I tell about uh, the James Brothers? Okay, how about this? So we used to play a lot down around Paul Parrot. and uh, we were playing one night in the Three Pillars down at Portland. and it's on, it's right on the harbour um, you can't park there or anything I mean the car park is like miles away um, anyway we were in the three pilchers plane. and it's normal evening yeah going down road probably getting happy, merry, and having a great time and the landlord of the Norton Crosses was in there <laughs> now the Norton Crosses is another pub in just across the road um, and uh, so he was in there enjoying it having a few bevies and all the rest of it and he says, I tell you what, at the end of this gig, why don't you come over to the Norton Crosses, bring your gear over there, set up there, and we'll just carry on, which is what we did. So 12, one o'clock in the morning, after we finished the Three Pilches we got all the gear into the Norton Crosses and just carried on and did another gig till sun up, basically. Uh, and uh, it's a different gig because everybody was up for it in the Three pictures. Me, the time. Early hours of the morning came around, everybody was pretty uh, knackered, should we say, and uh, sort of chilling out. And then you know, we did some of the old, sort of, you know, slow, smoochy stuff and did a lot of free-handed and stuff. Free-handed is what we called, just meet the piano and vocals and Jim said, well, what about Do you know this one? And uh, yeah, yeah, we we'll tried what key did we do? You know, do you fancy doing that? And uh, we just had a really, really good middle of the night. Um, so that's the sort of thing that, uh, that we would do. <laughs> Um, And um, I remember also playing in a pretty rough and ready pub in Bodmin, I forgot what it's called, White Hart I think, um, where we started playing and uh, it got quite quite raucous and um, so the landlord decided to get all the furniture out of the the pub and move it into another room so we were just playing into like an empty room. And um, I remember there was a Yard of Ale competition going on and uh, 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 these guys were challenging themselves to drink a yard of ale. Uh, you probably know what that is, it's a bloody great thing. Um, I think it contains something like three pints. And uh, the idea was to drink it all down at once. Only uh, it's a very long, long tube, like a big trumpety thing. That's uh, it's quite hard to drink. Um, and we did manage to get out there alive, <laughs> just about. Um... And, uh, but then we also did uh, a few gigs in Ireland. Jim's are from Ireland, uh, he's from County Mayo, And all his mu- family are, uh, are musical, you can imagine what it's like. We've been over there a few times and, and played. We went over for his 50th birthday and we did a few gigs. And uh, we were in this pub in a place called Ballymoat. Um, and everybody... It was a brand new pub that just opened, that we were playing in. And everybody that's been banned in all the rest of the pubs in the area, even the fish and chip shop they're banned from, uh, apparently, uh, were able to get into this pub because it's brand new. Just opening up, and we were the opening act, playing in this pub. You can guess what. Um, This... (laughs) There was there was riots. Okay, um, and I'll tell you wh- why there was quite a big riot. Um We didn't play the Irish national anthem, uh, which was a mistake. All right, now Jim, being Irish, should have should have uh, said we need to do this at the end of the night because it will finish the night off. Then once once the Irish national anthem is done, that's it. Everybody knows it's the end of the night. <coughs> of course, we didn't we didn't do that, and uh, it. it Caused a bit of commotion, I have to say. And uh, we were in a bit of trouble. Um, I remember this huge Irish guy towering over me. And he goes, you're not Catholic, are you? And I go, no, actually, I'm a Cornish Methodist. um, Which he had no idea which was. But I said, no, sorry. Um, And uh, we, um, we had to get out of there pretty quick. Now, first thoughts were um our wives and girlfriends were there as well first of all was safety let's get just let's get out go um forget forget the money and let's just just get the gear and go um which is what we did basically but the girls managed to talk with the landlord and managed to get the money for us and get us paid which is great they came out with the money thank you very much Sarah um thank you um and mary Jim's sister from Manchester, Guest. <laughs> we just had to make an escape we got out guy got out to our cars, and like they were they were just covered in, in bodies our cars they were on the bonnet they' were on the roof just just blokes lying all over our vehicles anyway um we did manage to escape there with a the skinner of our teeth yes anyway what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pop in some a little video a little video showcase of of the James Brothers doing some stuff um and uh, also maybe some tracks that uh, we've released um so that's where we are now basically um James Brothers is still going and we're still looking for gigs um because uh the Covid um sort of put a real stymie on on live music around here Pubs have changed they've they've changed um where we used to play um now where you know we'd be there and it would cost them some money for us to play there obviously now if we were to take up two or three tables that can be for food uh people sitting there spending money giving them money rather than the pub spending money on us um so that's what they've so they have to do so live music for those sort of pubs are not on the clubs have managed to keep going obviously they've got a membership um we've still managed to maintain gigs in the pub uh, clubs but pubs have just gone right out of the window um which is why i then decided a couple of years ago well just around the covid time um when first started that i would specialize in doing music for, for streaming platforms and because we weren't doing any live work it gave me a fantastic opportunity to do what I've been wanting to do since I sat at the piano and did my own stuff in my early teens, and that is to write great music and release it. Back in those days, I mean, the idea of doing that was like, I might as well try to plan a trip to Mars because it it was impossible. I mean, in small villages in Cornwall, we're just completely wrong place. It was just impossible to do that. But now with modern technology, I mean, it's just the world as your oysters if you're a musician. So I decided to do that and um, the little niche I've fallen into is uh, writing little neoclassical pieces just off the cuff. Something that I've been doing ever since I can remember. To sit at a piano and whatever I feel, whatever that comes through me and, and through the piano and uh, I'll me and the piano will work together and We'll make a bit of a noise and make a bit of a piece out of it and i uh, record it as I go. And um, if it's decent enough, if it's got some... It's usually full of expression, you know, because it's what I'm putting into it. It's all spontaneous. Um, if it's any good, I'll, I'll stick it out, and which is what I've been doing with the last four or five pieces I would have imagined. They're just sort of spontaneous me sat at the piano. One, it <laughs> saves a lot of time. Um, you know there's no mucking around trying to work with multi tracks and trying to get the mixing done and which I'm no good at um it's just playing the piano and that's it. I just took it out, yeah obviously, get the mastering done and make sure it sounds half decent um and um people seem to find it quite interesting um uh um, so there that's what I've been doing um it's working pretty pretty good at the moment, thanks you know thanks everybody for listening to you know, it's, it's about 330, 340,000 streams on Spotify, something like that. Um, um, yeah, it's doing pretty, yeah, it's doing well, a lot of building up, being part of artist community, um, building up lots of relationships with lots of other musicians, not necessarily in the same genre, all different genres, but just getting, um, You know, getting together with people and um, with the same focus of creating your own stuff and getting it out there. Um, Promoting it in all sorts of ways. It's a hell of a learning process. I mean, I knew nothing about promotion. Um, I knew nothing about Spotify playlists and what we are supposed to do for that. And over the last couple of years, it has been a massive, massive learning curve. And I've enjoyed every bit of it. I mean, gigs for... Most of the, my working life uh, it has been sort of 95% playing music and 5% business. It's turned around now. <laughs> it's 95% business trying to get it out there and it's 5% playing. Um, which is okay. Uh, I do miss the playing. Um, and I do find the business side of it uh, pretty can be quite tedious. Um, but again, it's learning. I love learning new stuff. And and uh, that that is just I wouldn't say it's as enjoyable, but it is enjoyable to to do that. Um, I said, you know, sort of meet online some great people, people all around the world. This is the this is the thing I cannot get into my head that the the whole global thing is there for you, and you are part of that as a musician. I mean, you're connecting with with anybody and everybody. I mean. How fantastic is that? I mean, it is truly mind-blowing. And to be able to get your music up to a decent enough standard production-wise, to be able to put that out for people to listen to, um, you know, it's not just some rough old stuff that is on a dodgy old tape somewhere that somebody's pulled out of a cupboard. I mean, this is, like, really listenable to. Um, and to be able to do that with, with fairly minimal financial outlay, actually, to be honest with you. Um, but, you know, I, I'm still working as well, you know, in order to get money, as um, working in education. Um, so it's still a side hustle, uh, which is great because I think the balance of that is really good. Um, I don't think I want to do it full time. I don't think I could, I really haven't got a head for it. Um, spending all day for months, working on music on a track or on an album, I know bands do it for like a couple of years. Um, nah, that would do my head. It needs to be over and done with, done out, faster, quick turnaround. <laughs> um, so, that, it, I mean, working in education, working with people, working with youngsters with, um, who struggle academically is a fantastic. It's not an antithesis to, uh, to what I'm doing, cause it's it's still communication in some sort of way, but it really puts, it, it's me using my brain in a different way in order to help people, another way to help people, you know, so um, the two sort of goes together and they complement each other very well and I think the balance between those two things is, is really good. Uh, they Both both of those things allow me to do both things fairly well, I think. Um, my work, I, I like to think that I, I am capable of helping people quite pretty well. And also, um, when it comes then to do music, then I'm ready for it. You know, I'm re- I've got things in my head then. Uh, I'm ready for it. I'm ready to get it down. I'm ready to let, let it all out onto the piano. Um, you know, if what we're trying to do over a period of weeks and months, then that yeah, will no. Um So there we are. That's uh, where we are at the moment. So James Brothers... So I've talked about um, my life as a sort of working musician, doing gigs and things um, and uh, earning a little bit of money as a side hustle. Uh, But I've also been involved in other projects um, to do with music. Um, I'm a Cornishman um, and I can speak my mother tongue, Cornish language. Um, But (laughs) before that rings any alarm bells, uh, I know there's all sorts of associations with that. Um, uh, I am definitely not a flag waving Cornish nationalist um it sort of has some political overtones when you say that um you're a Cornish speaker um you know I'm a fluent Cornish speaker and also a bard of the Cornish Gorses um but I view I'm a world citizen like everybody else on the planet you know a collection of cells with some form of consciousness that happened to be born by chance um in that little tiny little bit of the of planet earth um and we call ourselves cornish um you know and generations before me have, have also been born and bred here so it's just a, just a label for identification um yeah we have a culture and history which is unique um and we should c- c- celebrate that and also but we should celebrate the diversity of every culture language and thing and people on the planet you know and uh, being courteous is, is nothing special. It's no no supposed to say anything else at all. Um, anyway, having said that, you know, um, I felt it was important that I should be able to speak my the language of my people, if you like. Um, there's not many people that that speak it, so I had to I had to learn it. I had to go. I went to night school and, and, and learned it. Um, and the guy that taught me was a guy called Graham Sandercock. Um, although, apart from being a brilliant teacher, he is actually a, also a fantastic songwriter. Um, obviously, writing in, in Cornish. Um, and it's, the strength, I think, in his songs are, are the lyrics, definitely. He's so lyrical. He, he can use the language so beautifully um, to encapsulate some sort of feeling or some or to set some scene or or um just to to invoke some imagination um and it's brilliant and um i worked with him on a couple of albums um so graham writes the songs um and uh just on guitar and vocals uh, i'll take that away and i'll do the arrangement and whatever the song tells me talks to me about is how i make that arrangement and and the sort of style and genre of, of the song of the of the arrangement and how it should sound and things and um yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, it is of interest. I mean, people will listen to it out of interest uh, because it's. We did the very first CD um, of all original songs uh, in the Cornish language, um, so there's some there's historical sort of interest there. I um, also was approached by the Coethaith Cynhysgrifennuic, which is the Cornish Language Fellowship um and, the, and Santa Clara collected together some children's songs um some of them traditional um some were written um sort of modern day uh, writers writing it um and also we I wrote some stuff um Graham wrote some stuff and uh, there's so there's, there were some brand new things written especially for that particular album um it's an album called Planet Kerner and um I gathered together singers from all over the place, all over the place, and uh, got me into my little home studio, and um, made these tracks. Um, a little booklet has come with it, um, with all the, all the lyrics and everything. Um, some kids in Cullington Primary School, I think it was, they did some fantastic drawings to go with, with, the, with the songs, and that's all in the book, booklet as well. Um, and so it's still available. I mean, all this stuff is still available. Uh, it was a really interesting project to be with and uh, met some fantastic people. Some, I'll tell you what, there's some real talent around. There really is, um, you know, people that, <laughs> like, well, like like all, we're li- just living ordinary lives and uh, they have this talent that is not always shining bright and probably should do. But um, so we did, um, we did, festival in, in Brittany, me um, and Graham and uh, other members joined us. Um, it was in a little village called Brondley. Uh We went over every Easter for several years and and did a uh, uh, sort of Celtic festival playing there. And uh, part of our group, if you like, was um a fantastic singer called Phil Knight, uh, probably one of the best singers in Cornwall, I have to say, um, and very much missed Chris James, the violinist, um, died in very tragic circumstances. Uh, uh, what he could have brought to the Cornish music table with his skills and everything else as time went on after you know um well he's, he's very missed to put it that way. Um yeah so uh, I've sort of doubled in other things as well. Um that's probably the most interesting thing. Um anyway so James Brothers yeah we are we are looking to get gigs now we're sort of getting back into that a little bit now. There are things have sort of calmed down. Um so if anybody wants uh, a duo piano based duo that does wax covers you know like um just sort of get some new stuff refreshing the set so put some scar stuff in you know that we've done i mean lovely two-tone stuff i mean that is that is my era yeah you, know, you know the message to you rudy um that sort of thing got some of that in but then uh we try to do some modern ish stuff. When I say modern ish, I mean I mean it's middle of the road stuff, so you know, we were like doing um, uh, the stereophonics and stuff like that. Um, it's middle of the road rocky, poppy stuff from the last 50, 60 years. Um, with a couple of our own country songs chucked in. So, you know, give us a bell if you wanna if you wanna do it. We we're very recently priced as well. We give, we're very professional. We play for as long as you want us to play, three, four hours maybe, whatever. We're up for it. Take care. Thanks, bye.